Hello and welcome to Byesville Assembly of God Church. We exist to be a place of connection to God and to others who believe in Jesus. We're glad you joined us today. We invite you to listen close as our lead pastor, Joe Summers, preaches the Word of God. This morning we're going to go to a couple passages of Scripture. Um, one is found in Deuteronomy 6. That's where we'll end up first, and then we'll flip over to Judges chapter 2. <clears throat> I grew up and still have a love of history. I, I love um, knowing facts. I understand that that's probably not for everyone, but history fascinates me. Um, there are things that, uh, as I look back over time, uh, I believe it was, I forget who said it, but those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it, something along those lines. And, and I just, I've taken that to heart. I love history. Matter of fact, there's an interesting thing. Um, I don't know if you've, Pastor Dustin was bringing this to my attention, that 1918, when the Spanish flu happened and people had to wear masks all over the place, that it became a mandate in 1918 to wear a mask. And if you didn't wear a mask in 1918, you were fined. And if you continued to not wear a mask, they put you in jail. And then they did the ultimate thing after that, they put your name in the newspaper. Because that was the big deal back then. You got your name in the newspaper. Funny how history kind of comes around, doesn't it? I, I think history is important for us. And, and I, I love especially uh, United States history, but I love all kinds of history, really. When I was a kid, I loved hearing from veterans who would share their experiences as they were serving. Some weren't pleasant um, I, I wish I could have had the opportunity to talk with my wife's grandfather. He was someone that was a POW in Nazi Germany. Um, she has a notebook from an interview that she did with him uh, that is a fascinating read. Um, it's powerful. It's moving of, of what the sacrifice was and what, what happened during that time period. I, I met a man in Columbus who was a Pearl Harbor survivor. I've had the privilege of going to the USS Arizona, and, and man, that is such a moving experience there. And to know somebody that survived that, um, this guy wouldn't really talk about it too much, but you knew that he had a story to tell. The thing is that I wonder sometimes, we talk about history and we talk about those kind of things, and I think sometimes it's important for us to share those things with the next generation. Because I feel like one of the issues in our country today is that we have not talked about our experiences. We haven't talked about those things that, um, uh, from whether that be from a military standpoint, of a, a soldier, or even life standpoint, as far as the essence of freedom in our country, I think that we are losing that thought process of patriotism. We're losing that process of, of freedom, and, and I see it based on how, um, how people react to the lives that they've been fed. They have a biased viewpoint based on certain textbooks that we have altered and switched around and pulled facts out of and, and propaganda that we have pushed and our agenda of, of as a nation that we have pushed, and somehow they have missed the personal aspect of our history. I think similar things happened to Israel in the Old Testament. 
If you were to go, we're in Deuteronomy today. Deuteronomy is a book that was considered one of, it was considered Moses' final sermon, if you will, to the Israelites. It was like his final words that he was giving them before he was going to die and before they went to the promised land. This would be the generation that was about to partake in the promised land that Joshua was going to lead in. And in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, in verse 1, Moses says this. He says, now these are the commandments, the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded to teach you so that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess so that you might fear the Lord your God in order to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson. Check that. Generations. All the days of your life, so that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do it, so that it may be well with, your, with you, And so that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Maybe your version of scripture says this, impress them on your children and talk of them when you are sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and you shall be a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and fine cities which you did not build. Father, today I pray, help us, Lord. As we look at your passage of Scripture this morning, I believe you've got a word for us today. I believe you've got a, a, a th- something that you want to communicate to our hearts this morning. I believe that. In Jesus' name, allow our ears to be open and our hearts as well. In your name we pray, amen. Moses says this in Deuteronomy, and then what happens next is Joshua, the book of Joshua happens, and and Joshua leads the people by the guidance of the Lord to take the promised land. They go from city to city, taking what God speaks to their heart to take. They divide up the land. That's part of the book of Joshua. And then all of a sudden, you get to the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, something happens. Something happens. When Joshua dies, and in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, we learn something about the people of Israel. We learn that they neglect to tell the next generation about God. They neglect to tell the next generation about his commands, his victory, his provision, his power, and his might. His person, they neglect to tell them who God even was. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 10. The entire generation passed away, and after them grew up a generation who did not know the Lord or the deeds that he had done for Israel. Moses commands them in Deuteronomy 6 to do what? 
to teach or to impress on their kids the things of what God has done, the ordinances, the commandments, the fact that God, we are to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and might, that God is the most important thing in this whole journey, that it's not about the land of promise, it's not about milk and honey, it's not about cities, it's not about homes, but it's about the children of Israel making sure that their relationship was right with God. And to take that, uh, that relationship that they have with the Lord and to pass that down to the generations that followed. Why would Moses give that instruction? You'll find that the book of Judges is a prime example of what happens when we neglect to do this. You know, it got me thinking. And when I start to thinking, sometimes I start asking questions. Questions like, how often do we tell our kids and our grandkids about the Lord and what he's done for us? Is Jesus even discussed at your house? Does your family know your testimony? Are you more consumed with sporting events? Great deals on Amazon. The happenings of the day, schoolwork, man, that list can go on and on then you are about sharing these things with your family that the next generation would know what Jesus has done for you. When I was first youth pastoring, the Holy Spirit gave me a scripture that I believe was a prophetic word uh, for me and my ministry. Um, it's found in Psalm seventy-one, eighteen. It says this, Now also when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me, for until I have proclaimed your strength to this generation and your power to everyone who is to come. That's the secret to growth. Passing down those kind of things, telling those things to your children and your grandchildren and everyone that God gives you contact, especially those in your family, is the secret to spiritual legacy. Proclaiming his strength and his power to the next generation. Proclaiming his goodness and faithfulness, his favor and his grace to the next generation. If we as a nation are to thrive in our churches, this better be a practice that we ignite in our homes again. I look at the nation of Israel and I see where they drop the ball on this. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you'll notice that Israel lived in cycles. The cycle usually went like this. Then the next generation would drift away from a personal relationship with the Lord. And as a result, they would adapt and adopt, maybe adopt is better, the lifestyle and values of the surrounding culture. They would allow the things of the world, the, the people that they had allowed in, to shape their life, and they would ultimately rebel against God. God would judge them and allow, by allowing them to suffer oppression and bondage from one of their enemies. And then finally, Israel would cry out to God in misery and repent for going their own way and turning their back on God. And then the cycle would happen over and over and over and over again. I fear that in our nation today. We're raising a generation that doesn't really know the Lord. Or at very best, they have a superficial relationship with the God of this universe. 
that's based on someone else's faith and not on their own. They've not heard of the great things that God has done. They've not experienced that. We haven't really been good at sharing our testimony because let's be real, we have a hard time just sharing it in the context of a church or, uh, or at work, much less around our dinner table. We typically don't talk about God for fear that we'll sound too preachy. We don't want to sound preachy. We don't want to turn people off. And so what do we do? We neglect completely. We avoid the issue. Avoid the topic. Y'all still love me, right? I know it's getting a little hard and it's getting awful quiet in here. We sing the songs like, all my life you've been faithful, but we don't really share the details about why he's been faithful. And so it becomes a song. We have no problem talking about the latest political issue. We can discuss a bad day at work. We can even talk about people that have wronged us. We can gossip about people. We can tell, we can uh, typically feel normal and comfortable in doing those things. But why do we feel uncomfortable in sharing about God and his power and his might and strength? Christian music artist from a few years ago, Carmen, maybe you've heard them. Um, this crowd probably is more on that line of thinking than maybe some of the other crowds, but uh, you've heard of him. And, and he had a, a few years ago, he had a song called entitled America Again. It's a powerful song. And, and in that song, he makes the statement that it's time for us to proclaim from the church house to the White House and say that we need God in America again. But I, I want to adjust that for just a minute. It's also time for us to proclaim in our own house. How's it going to be possible for us to proclaim from the White House, to church house to the White House, if we're not even doing it in our own home? When Israel neglected to speak about God and to tell the next generation about the Lord, they suffered greatly the consequences. That's why reaching a generation is important. Because why? Because they, the Bible says they did not know God. They did not know God. Now, I understand that each person in the next generation has to make a decision for themselves. I get that. My, uh, I used to have a personal evangelism uh, teacher in, in Bible college, and, and dude was, I mean, he was off the rails about sharing Jesus. He, he would go, and ha- his office was in the McDonald's. And he graded papers, and then he'd just sit and people watch, and then he'd go table to table and start just talking to people. Wasn't pushy, wasn't preachy, just talking to people. And he used to say this. Um, he, he used to say that, man, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You've heard that expression, right? You can do that. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But he used to say, but you can sure make him thirsty. You can sure make him thirsty. In the book of Judges, God would raise up people who would rescue his people from the hand of their oppressors. That's what the judges are. They're not magistrates that were governed. They were leaders who would rescue. Today, I want to just talk about one of those governors, uh, one of those judges, I mean, one of those leaders today, probably one of the most popular ones, and it was a man named Samson. Samson was born of the tribe of Dan and was named Manoah. 
to a man named Manoah. He was part of the promise for Samson was that he was to be a Nazarite. Take a Nazarite vow for his life. If you look at the book of Numbers, chapter 6, you'll see the criteria for someone who's taken a Nazarite vow. They were not to partake of anything from the vine. No grapes, no wine, no vinegar, no dried grapes, no grape juice, nothing like that. They couldn't have anything from the vine. The second thing is they um, were not allowed to approach or touch anything that was dead or unclean. And then finally, the third thing is they were not allowed to shave or to cut their hair. It's interesting to me that as we look and we are introduced to Samson after his uh, birth in chapter 13, chapter 14, we're introduced to him. And one of the things that I see is that almost immediately you see that he is coming from a vineyard. (laughs) What was one of the things that he wasn't supposed to do. We also see this, that he kills a lion, and when the lion's been dead a little while, some bees come, and, and they make a hive uh, inside of the lion, and, and Samson comes by, and he reaches inside the lion and gets some honey. Now, I'm sorry. You may look at that, and you may think, oh, wow, that was kind of a neat thing. To me, that's gross. I I don't know. That just seems really gross to me. I'm all about honey, but I'm not about bloody honey, especially from a dead animal. I I just, I I can't wrap my mind around that one. So right off the bat, Samson puts himself in a position to break two of the Nazarite vows. Interesting. Then he meets this Philistine woman in chapter 16 named Delilah, and man, he falls hard for her. He has fallen in love with this girl, but can I tell you, she didn't love him. She was bought out to try to find what the secret of his strength was. The thing I see here is that God is merciful and gracious to Samson because he's already broken two of the vows. But God lets him keep his supernatural strength. I think sometimes in our life we live that way. We try to live as close to the edge as possible to keep our strength as a believer. And that's what Samson did. He tried to live as close to the edge as he possibly could. But Delilah was persistent, sneaky. And by now, I'm telling you, I think Samson's feeling a little bit arrogant. Pride sits in. Delilah's having this conversation with Samson, and you know how you girls do. You bat your eyes and flip your hair and, uh, you, you know, that, you wear that perfume that we like, and you get all dolled up. And, and she uses her feminine wiles against him and says sweet nothings in his ear, trying to seduce him. And then she drops the question. Please, tell me how your strength is so great. And how could you be bound in order to be subdued? So Samson tells her a lie the first time. He said, man, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I will be weak like any ordinary man. 
Wakes up the next morning, tied up. Just like he told her. <laughs> Breaks off the bowstrings, and this happens the next night. She comes, you told me lies. You lied to me. Tell me, how can you be bound? He says, new ropes, use new ropes, new ropes. If you use new ropes, it'll be just like, I'll be just as weak as any other man. The next morning, guess what? He's bound with new ropes. He splits them apart. Now, I, I stopped to think about this just for a minute. Either Samson is the normal thought process that we get as a dumb jock, Or pride has blinded him. I come to the realization that I think it's probably the second. Because his arrogance blinds him. I mean, come on, man. Can't you see what this chick is trying to do here? You wake up not one morning, but two mornings. The exact same thing that you told her to do that would zap your inner, your strength. You wake up two mornings now and it's happened both times. Come on, Samson. Are you thinking with something else besides your brain? I mean, what is this? You have to know that if you tell her the truth that a barber's coming to shave your head, don't you? But his pride blinds his heart. And it robs him of his anointing. See, that's what pride does. Pride robs you of your anointing. Whenever you start taking the presence of God and the power of God for granted, watch out, because you might be dealing with pride. It starts subtle, but it graduates to things that the devil uses to thwart a move of God in your life getting you so in love with other things that you neglect your relationship with God and wonder of what walking with him brings every day. Satan knows the secret of your strength in the Lord, and he will push those buttons to try to make you blind to what's happening. For some people, it's anger. For others, it's hurt feelings. For others, it's an unwillingness to forgive. For others, it's... Some people treat this like it's a game to be played. Oh, I'll just get a little close. I'll just do a little of this. Can I just tell you, like Samson, you don't even realize that this is a game you can't win. All the while, you keep getting deeper and deeper, and then one day you'll say what I believe is one of the most tragic verses in all of Scripture. Judges chapter 16, verse 20, to me, is one of the most tragic verses in the entire Bible. And it says this. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. After she had brought in the barber, after that uh, Samson had told her, hey, listen, if you cut my hair, I'll be as weak as any other man. He finally tells her the truth. And what happens? The barber comes in and she says this, Samson, the, the, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And then he awakened from his sleep and thought, I will go out as before and shake myself free of them. Here's the tragic part. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't even know. He had gotten so far down that path that he didn't even recognize the fact 
that God had left him. I caution us today to learn from this story of Samson. Today, maybe there's some things that you're walking in. Maybe the devil's trying to use some things in your life, whether it's you're lost in arrogance or anger or bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe you're struggling with the thing that you love that's not what God has for you, and it's blinded you to the Lord. So much that you might have once been someone who walked in anointing and power. Maybe you were someone who taught class. Maybe you were someone who gave a word to someone or encouraged someone, and you operated in the gifts of the Spirit. But now you're so far blinded that you look around at the past bit of time, and tragically, you don't even realize that God's left you and the anointing is gone. Church, if we're going to see a move of God in our country, in our community, and communities like it across this nation, we've got to do a couple things of this text that we've learned today. We've got to testify of his power. We've got to keep Jesus as the top thing in our life. We've got to tell of our relationship with God to the next generation, proclaim it, tell it, and live it in front of them. They need to see that in you. I want to ask you a question, and I'm not asking you to respond. This isn't Wednesday night. Bible study class. But I want you to think about this. Does everyone in your family know your testimony? Does everyone in your family know your testimony of how you came to Jesus? Does everyone in your family know of the goodness of God and, and what has happened throughout your life and how you have seen him to be faithful and good? Maybe he delivered you from cancer. Maybe he, he healed your body in some crazy, amazing way. Maybe he provided from you when you were down. Maybe there were some things that were broken in your life, but he came and he fixed all that. Do the people who are close to you know? We sing songs, and I love that song. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you've been so, so good. And I can sing that song and mean it with all my heart, but I've got to be able to say those things to the most important people in my life, to my family. And we also have to keep continually, the second thing is this, if we want to see a move of God, we have got to continually be examining ourselves for blind spots. To be checking out that we are not loving the wrong things. See, that's what happened to Samson. He started loving the wrong things. Not allowing the devil to blind us in emotion, but to walk daily with the Lord. Samson's tragic story has a happy but sad ending. Samson has a repentant heart. He, he, he asks the Lord just one more time, and he, they put him between two of the main pillars as they're making fun of him. They're sport, making sport of him. And he just prays, Lord, one more time. One more time. And he pulls down that whole building. The Bible says that he killed more in that one event of his death than he killed his entire life. I close with this thought. I recently read a book. It was called Calvary Road. 
this book was, it was a great book. It reaffirmed to me that revival must be personal before it ever becomes corporate. I think we pray and we have a miscommunication and misthought process of what revival really is. And we want revival to be this massive thing that just kind of drops on us. <laughs> you know, kind of like, uh, uh, and I think we, 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 we sing songs like, uh, uh, I feel the rain, bring the rain, like the rain of the Holy Spirit. And we want it to happen like that. And we want it, and, and, and don't get me wrong, God can pour out his spirit that way. And he does. But I think the key to revival is not found in a corporate reign. It's found in a personal walk. It's found in a brokenness and a humility that every day you have before the Lord. This is God, I trust you. I'm going to go with you. You're the God of my life. I'm dying to myself every day. I'm coming to the cross every day. Because unless you have that in your life, the devil will make sure you have blind spots. And things that will thwart a work of God in your life. So hear me today, church. Tell it. Tell it to the most important people in your life. Tell what God's done. Tell of his goodness. And then watch out. Don't let the devil have a way. Most tragic verse in scripture, man. I'm going to get up and do just like I did before. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Father, I thank you, Lord, today. God, you are so good. And I praise you this morning, God, for that goodness. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts right now? Move in us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, and just you and the Lord right now, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I, I recognize some blind spots. I recognize some areas in my life that maybe I love a bit more than I love Jesus. I recognize that the devil's trying to get in through a certain way. For Samson, it was this woman. He loved her, and then his love for her created blind spots in his life because he put her in front of the Lord and his promise and commitment to God. And this morning, you, you would say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I, I just, I recognize the fact that there's some blind spots, and today I want to ask the Lord to, re I want to repent today of those things. I want to come back to Jesus full force. recognize some lessons that I needed to learn from Samson this morning and I don't want that tragedy to happen to me and if that's you this morning and you said pastor would you remember me in this prayer would you slip up your hand today right now thank you thank you praise God praise God I'm going to ask if everyone would stand stand with me and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I humble myself before you today. And I come running back to you. I recognize what the devil's plans are. And I want you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. 
forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my priorities. Help me to love you more than anything else. I give you glory and honor for you alone are worthy today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you would say, you know what, Pastor Joe, I, I, I want to make a, a, co- a commitment to the Lord. I want to be better at sharing my story to the people that are most important in my life. I want to be better at sharing what God's done in me. You know, the, the great thing about all of this is your story is yours. Nobody can take it from you. It's your experience with Jesus. It's firsthand. Nobody can take that. And you get the privilege to share it with those who are most important. To sit down with your kids, your grandkids, your family, and to share what the love and the faithfulness of God. And you'd say, you know what? I'm going to make a commitment today to the Lord that I'm going to look for opportunities when he opens the door. And even when he doesn't open the door, I'm going to pray about when God wants me to speak and I get opportunities to share because it's so important to teach the next generation it's so important if that's you today as we close in prayer would you just slip your hand to God and say God that's me Father I pray right now for those that have their hands in the air right now God the most important thing that we can do the most important legacy that we can live is not found in a will is found in a changed life. God, I pray right now that you would help us to have the mindset and to understand that, God, I've got to share the goodness of you. I've got to share my testimony. I've got to share the love of Jesus. I've got to share the stories of what you've done in my life. Moses challenged the children of Israel to share, to impress, to give, to teach diligently those things to their kids and their grandkids and generations after. God, I pray, maybe this has never happened in our family, but today I am making a decision that for me and my house, as Joshua said, we will serve the Lord and I will tell, I will give, I will show what it meant and what God has done in my life. And today I promise, Lord, I'm going to do the best I can to make you famous in my own home. I thank you, Lord, for that. Give us anointing and power when we do that. Let the Holy Spirit massage the hearts of those who are listening. And the ears, God, that they be attentive, I pray. In Jesus' name. Let this be an incredible week as we go and as we share the goodness of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Byesville Assembly of God. At our church, we exist to be a place of connection to God and to others who believe in Jesus. We're glad you joined us today. We hope you join us next time as we hear a powerful word from the Bible. God bless you and your family from all of us at Byesville Assembly of God.